It is February 25th, 1995, and Lightning Crashes by Live is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. Welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Quillen. I'm Trev. <laughs> What's with the weirdly monotone thing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Al. And this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Today we'll be talking about Lightning Crash as the third single from Live's sophomore album, Throwing Copper. Lightning crashes, but nine weeks at the top of the modern rock chart. Here's a clip. All right, uh, guys, what's your history with lightning crashes? Not much. I hated it when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm saying this a lot these days. You're just getting right into it. Uh, but, Damn. man, I, I, my, my tune has changed, baby. My tune has changed. Wow. Why, what, like, what changed in the last 25 years? Well, I like the song now. Oh. <laughs> Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think the chorus rips in the song. I think the chorus is awesome. Yeah. Um, I think the slow build, the slow burn is pretty sweet. Um, I can't wait to get to that full band action and it takes (laughs) so long to get there and it's like really infuriating and annoying, but I am a sucker for delayed gratification and it just kills me. I love it. I'm laughing, but I'm with you a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's frustrating. It's a frustrating song, but it. The, well, the I'm not with you on that, but is, the build, the build is a beautiful thing. Oh, it, the payoff is so good. Um, that was, no, that your, was your act- history. Yeah, that was actually really enlightening um, to hear you say that. Like, um, I couldn't quite put my finger on that, but I absolutely agree with what you just said. Um, you know, yeah, when it hits that chorus, when everything kind of comes in and it starts to build and rise. That's, yeah, that's I also love the uh, uh, the <laughs> melody. <laughs> it's cool. Um, the, <laughs> that part? No, the. Do I can feel it. No, no, uh, no. At the end of a verse, <laughs> he goes something like that oh yeah 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 <laughs> the angel opens her eyes yes yes, <laughs> yes that is the part yeah uh-huh. 
Yeah, so the song was released in 1994, mm-hmm. became a hit in 95, and just weird timeline stuff. I didn't own Throwing Copper until at least 1997. I bought it after Secret Samadhi had come out. Um, right. Yeah, c- c- Got to keep in mind, I was 12 years old in 1997. You were. Um, and promptly, this became my favorite song. And it was my favorite song through almost all of high school. Damn. So in my calculations, in my memory, this was my favorite song of all time for three to five years. What a um, run. What it was a run. quite a run. I, 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 I'm trying to think, you know, I've had favorite songs from time to time. Is this my longest running favorite song? No, I guess it's not. I think Black and White by the DBs has been my favorite song for over a decade now. Wow. But uh, um, I have so many distinct memories of this song, and I- I'm going to have to go in depth on some of them. But I, I loved this song enough that I very specifically remembered seeing it in the Hope Floats trailer. That was the um, kind of mediocre rom-com starring Sandra Bullock. I recently bought it on VHS because I... I've been watching a lot of Sandra Bullock movies in quarantine, but um, my best guess is that I, I I saw that Hope Floats trailer when I went to see Sphere, and I remember specifically turning to my dad during the Hope Floats trailer and saying, "Dad, this is my favorite song." <laughs> <laughs> what did What did Dad say? I think he said, "Hmm," oh. mm-hmm. and nodded his head, which is the way that my dad responds to most things that I'm enthusiastic about. <laughs> It's yeah. not a negative thing. <laughs> yeah, it's just like nice. a mm-hmm, an acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Yep. It's just a general acknowledgement. An acknowledgement uh, lacking a opinion, an actual opinion. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you got. It's this... like thanks for the information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You got mm-hmm. this album in 1997. Were you familiar with it beforehand? Had you heard it on the radio? Well, yeah. So I mean, I had been listening. I think my theory. I don't know for sure, but my theory is that I started listening to alternative radio in 1995. I went to uh, Evan Levine's house and we listened to One Hot Minute, and um, and I, it was around the time that My Friends was released as a single. I can track back to that. That is when I started listening to alternative radio. So that's coming up. Uh, that important moment. But um, I bought Secret Samadhi, which came out in 1997. I bought that on the strength of the second single, Turn My Head, the power ballad from that album. We'll have to save that conversation for a little while. And um, I mean, I could go on and on and on. That was my 12th birthday. I know for a fact on my 12th birthday, I received Secret Samadhi and Bringing Down the Horse by the Wallflowers. And they promptly became my two favorite albums. And that lasted for a long time. And I want to say that the following year, on my 13th birthday, that's when I received Throwing Copper. And I also got a new bike. And I don't ask me why. I'm almost positive that I got Prince of Persia 2 for the computer, <laughs> for the Mac. And I... um. I, I mean, I'm going to, I guess I'm just going to gush. I just have to gush. And I've heard from, from listeners that they like it when we just get sincere and we just go on and on. But we're going to have to have a very serious conversation about Secret Samadhi when, when the Lakinis Juice episode comes up. But I received a copy 
This is all birthday related. I received a copy of The Hobbit on the same day that I received a copy of Secret Samadhi. And I read The Hobbit while I listened to Secret Samadhi. And the two are inextricably linked. And The Hobbit is a big part of why I like uh, why I, I, I love Secret Samadhi. That's awesome. I love that. Connection. And then the That's next cool. year, I swear to you, I went for bike rides down the street on Morton Avenue as fast as I could. And I came back and I, I the windows were open and the sweet spring breeze, the May breeze was coming in the window. And I was listening to Throwing Copper. And I was sometimes putting on Throwing Copper in the CD-ROM drive of the computer and I was playing Prince of Persia 2 at the same time. So both of these live albums, I was having a fantasy, otherworldly pop cultural experience while I listened to them. So let's just remember that. (laughs) (laughs) And on top of that, I was uh, very engaged with spirituality and Christianity at the time of listening to both of these albums. And live, both of these albums have spiritual themes. And to get my very roundabout answer to your question, Travis, I'm so sorry if I've bored anyone. Um, All of the songs had been floating in my consciousness, selling the drama, I alone, all my, uh, all my loving, (laughs) (laughs) all over you. They had all been kind of in my consciousness on the radio, but uh, coming back to lightning crashes after building a relationship with the band just walloped me. Great. I love it. That's wonderful. All right. So let's talk music. This is one of the great choruses of the 90s. Yeah, I guess so. I I mean, man, I like I didn't feel that way going into this, but like just the conversation we've had leading up to this makes me want to go back and just hear hear when the full band kicks in. And yep. Uh, just fully appreciate that because it is it's great I mean I always think of it as like the things that appeal to me about this song are uh, the guitar tone I think it's really cool Um, I guess the melody is pretty good I mean it's three chords it's a very simple song except for the bridge which is also a really good bridge like if you're going to do a bridge in like a minor key like they really really did it in a neat way um, I think it was a really like well-constructed song for something so simple. Mm-hmm. So the thing about that, that melody in the chorus, you could break it down to fundamentally be two notes. It's basically, Oh, now feel it coming back again, like roll of thunder. But it's he, the way that he, goes up and down the scale and creating mm-hmm. the variations of those two notes is totally fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think that the thing that makes the song is the coming back again, coming back again. That agreed. Just, yeah, just is, is just great. I don't know what mm-hmm. to say about it. It's, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well said. And then like the lyrics are, um, I think great. They're, they're this sort of archetypal circle of life stuff, um, which, you know, I could imagine rolling your eyes at or, or whatever, but um, I think in contrast to Live's other stuff, it's it's generally, it's, it's unpretentious. And 
um, you know, basically the, the, the plot of the song is someone dies and then someone's born. And uh, I can see how it might provide like genuine comfort to someone <laughs> in a time of loss. I <laughs> knew that someone was going to laugh. I'm sorry. But do you remember like <laughs> earlier this year, we were, we were just exchanging texts and, and you said something about your grand, grandparent passing. And like yeah. my grandparent had also passed around the same time. And I, I, that was my response. And you said, wow, lightning crashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really for lightning to crash, some, a baby had to be That's born. true. That's but. true. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I heard us I like I was listening to this and it reminded me of the song and when I die which was popularized by Blood Sweat and Tears but written by Laura Nero in like the 60s late 60s um hmm. and it's literally about like and when I die there'll be one child born in this world to carry on uh it's literally you know it's it's the same sort of thing as lightning crashes um uh Nothing to follow up on about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this song is dedicated to a friend who died in a drunk driving accident. And uh, I I believe in the emotion behind it. Who was also uh, an organ donor, right? Who helped save the life of a 10-month-old baby by giving it oh, a liver. Well, there you go, man. Yeah. Yeah. Come at me. Come at me. Tell me this song is not. <laughs> Tell me this is not a great song. I won't. I, I I think that I grew self-conscious about liking live as I got into indie music. And I also think that as I shied away from spirituality, I maybe came to see a lot of this stuff as BS. But uh, it's been nice coming back around to this live stuff. And I'll go ahead and share... Uh, my my birthday was a month ago, and and Trav sent me a vinyl copy of Secret Samadhi in the mail, oh, and I man I I put it nice. on and I was like this is just stone cold. I'm you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna be defending live with my heart and soul from here on out. I love it. Now that I don't That's have great. to tuck. Now that I've already I've already gotten it out there that Waitress is a terrible song, and uh, I think Shit Town is a terrible song. I think there's some terrible songs on Throwing Copper. Uh, I think from from here on out, at least up until 1997, I'm 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 in it for live. I love it. I'm so happy to hear that because that's the sort of thing I feel about bands. Like there's a handful of bands from this era that I like. I really feel passionately about that are not cool, and it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. like, I mean, as long as you have that connection mm-hmm. to them and you can still maintain that connection that you felt so passionately and intensely as a kid, um, man, there's still magic in that. It's great. Yeah. Um, like Quillen and Jars of Clay. Yeah. Or, uh, a different uh or, or Good Riddance. <laughs> <laughs> His yeah. favorite song of all time. <laughs> I really like the uh, the mention of confusion in the lyrics that the um, as the old mother dies and the, the new baby is born, the confusion that was hers belongs now to the baby along the baby down the hall. Um, I uh, I think that this song is life affirming. 
But the idea of confusion ending when you die is still an appealing idea. It's like life affirming and death affirming. Uh, so I'm I'm down. <laughs> Travis, you're gonna say something. I was gonna burp. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Just to follow up on what you were saying. Sorry. Did you guys check out that Oklahoma City mix of the song? I did. That was no. weird. You know, yeah. Aaron, you didn't listen to it. It's no. worth checking out. It's it's on YouTube, and I don't understand there is what it, Oklahoma City mix. What does that mean? So it's the song, and when he's not singing, they're splicing in these dialogue bits of like first responders from the Oklahoma City bombing mm-hmm. from this era, yeah, mm-hmm. and folks like Dan Rather and and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird, and it it's, was like, it was apparently made by an Oklahoma City DJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I suppose it, it, it sort of coincides with like the the gist of the song, right? Except there's no he, babies being born. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if we look at this song, it's just maybe the the aim is to help people make peace with death. Um, we, I, I guess that that radios picked up that Oklahoma City mix and. Uh, in the YouTube comments, at least a lot of people from Oklahoma City specifically were commenting and saying, yeah, I remember this. Um, so, yeah, I guess it was a, a thing for people. I, I I think that I remember hearing about the Oklahoma City bombing, but I, I just didn't have any context for understanding it at the time. I was pretty young. Yeah. Yeah, I probably didn't either because it, like, tied in with all these other, like, anti-government thing it might have tied in with like waco like vaguely and things Mm -hmm. and ruby ridge and things like that which are all very like interesting sort of like um incidents but um yeah not something you could take in well as like a 10 year old or a 12 year old or whatever sure chad gracie the drummer of live uh reports yeah chad uh, he reports that the label thought it was too long, didn't want it as a single, said they would release it as a single over their dead body. Not quite like the Cranberry story where they were offered a briefcase full of a million dollars or whatever, <laughs> but um, I don't know how much to trust this, but the label apparently was very suspicious of uh, of the idea of releasing this as a song or as a single, but um, at this point, at nine weeks, it's our longest-running number one on the modern rock chart. Uh uh, also, just uh, the Wikipedia page made it sound like this was not released in the U.S. as a single; that it hmm. was only in the U.K. and um, somewhere else. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, which is insane to me, because I definitely is this heard bill, it on the this radio. Billboard chart is related only to airplay, not sales, correct? We talked about this in our first episode, and now I don't remember, and I'm going to kick myself (laughs) because there are some wild things. Like, we're never going to have a No Doubt number one, but that's because No Doubt never released songs on CD singles. They just released the album and then pushed songs out for promotion to radio. So it's complicated, and it's actually really important whether or not a song was released as a single. But no, I think that the modern rock chart is still 100% based on radio play. So, be based off... so, so it doesn't was, matter if it was released as a one? CD single. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 
um, it, it, but it, it did well on other charts. Um, this is one of our first songs that will simultaneously be number one on the modern rock chart and the mainstream chart. And that definitely says something. And um, it hit number six on the pop chart. So this song was really popular. I definitely remember it being very popular amongst my uh, acquaintances and people that I knew in like school at this time. This would have been fifth grade. Um, the video. Any thoughts about the video? Yeah, uh, something. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, obviously, it's uh like juxtaposing images of birth and death. Um, I initially, I um, almost felt like uh the scenes with like the family. Uh, in like the candlelit room almost gave me seance vibes a little bit um, mm-hmm. but uh yeah I don't know it, it's uh it's an okay video it's no uh when I come around <laughs> <laughs> I have one note about the video uh gross <laughs> it's gross <laughs> I have, I think, an important note about the video. You know, I, I didn't have access to MTV at this time, so I, I'm seeing a lot of these videos for the first time now, including the lightning crashes video. And after I watched, I, I immediately disagreed with the video's interpretation of the song lyrics, which is that the there is a the <coughs> old... <laughs> which is... Me, wrong tube. <laughs> In the video, the old mother referred to in the lyrics is just a young mother who dies in childbirth. Mm. And I do not think this song is about a mother dying in childbirth. I reject that interpretation. I think that's incorrect. I um, envision it taking place in a hospital. And, you know, there's an old mother you know, someone in old age who dies as this young child is being born. I, I, I never interpreted anything about about um, a mother dying in childbirth. And I was glad to see that Ed Kowalczyk had actually felt it necessary to point this out too. He says, um, while the clip is shot in a home environment, I envisioned it taking place in a hospital where all these simultaneous deaths and births are going on. One family mourning the loss of a woman while a screaming baby emerges from a young mother in another room. Nobody's dying in the act of childbirth, as some viewers think. What you're seeing is actually a happy ending based on a kind of transference of life. And I was really glad to see that without reading Ed's comments, I came to the same conclusion as him, that I think the video gets it wrong. Why is the mother bald in the video? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) like, yeah, I guess it probably is that a red herring. I don't know. 
There's this 90s thing with like powder and Philadelphia of like <laughs> martyrs having this weird E.T. like quality. <laughs> I don't know. It's a stylistic thing. I love um, that you had a really good answer for that, like Freddy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, did you guys listen to this throwing copper album? <laughs> yeah. What's up? What's up with the song title <laughs> Pillars of Davidson? <laughs> Shepherd baby. It's one of the great song titles of our time. <laughs> Well, we decided that uh, since we've already covered Throwing Copper, we would seek out the Woodstock 94 album. Live played a a set at Woodstock 94, and on the Woodstock 94 compilation CD, Selling the Drama is the very first track. So we sought it out, and we could not find it on Spotify, but we did find a YouTube playlist that mirrored the Woodstock 94 album. Um... General responses to watching the 94 Woodstock clips? Painful. (laughs) (laughs) It was so long, but it was also kind of confounding that Mm -hmm. just like the spectrum of what was included here. Mm -hmm. Yes. That was, it it was almost kind of like a curiosity. Yeah, it, it was quite an insane collection of the most random uh, artists you could think of. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty loose coalition of um, first-generation Woodstock performers and uh, punk rockers and alt-rockers and just Lollapalooza weirdos um, and jam bands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least jammy stuff. Okay, so I've got high hopes for this next question. So I'm going to say, we're all going to say it on three. All right. Best performance. We're going to say the band. Three, two, one. Collective soul. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Travis, you said Primus. You bet your ass I did. That was the best. That was the best. That was incredible. Oh this whole God. week, I've never been a Primus, Primus fan. Now. I've Jesus, never Travis. been a Primus fan in my life. But I saw this performance and was kind of blown away by it. Um, the song is called Those Damn Blue Collar Tweakers. And <laughs> and it's it's the performance. The song The song turned out to be actually great, but the performance is extra great. Um people are really clicking with it it's just this hard kind of riff that's like repeated and and there there's a, a good pit going um man it was exciting to watch that Al, I heard you say Blues Traveler. Well, hang on. My my note for Primus was, I wrote this down. Okay. Skip the stupid song. Just give me the bass solo. 
<laughs> but the song was cool. Like that chorus is no. just a very simple riff repeated over and over and it's dumb and there's probably like I don't know three or four notes like yeah it, but man add it up uh, and it's good yeah Travis Travis asking me about the blues traveler man I felt like getting on the BT train <laughs> after watching yeah baby this performance yeah. too many um, but anyway too many harmonica yeah. solos oh, I, I harmonica really solos. I did some serious I did some blues traveling and some John Poppin <laughs> while listening to this song um firstly John Popper's stage banter about the brown Pepsi yeah hysterical if, um, it fell a little flat for me it's unbelievable <laughs> that's a pop joke <laughs> it's unbelievable that bruce blues traveler exists in the same universe as nirvana mm-hmm. like j- just yeah. just in the context of this podcast mm-hmm. um boy is the bassist going for it on that song <laughs> that he song is not stop man that song is awesome. That's probably that was like one of my one of my one of my other favorites. It might be the second favorite song. Yeah, of the they whole trade awesome. solos for six minutes, and I gotta say, the sun is out. It's still early. Not everything has turned to mud. They got the beach balls going. They got the crowd surfing going. There's probably a hacky sack ring going on somewhere. <laughs> it looks utopian. <laughs> it just. I hear people talking about following around the dead and, and all that kind of stuff, and I, I never get it. And I, I liked Dave Matthews back in the mid-'90s, and I liked Blues Traveler back in the mid-'90s. But, man, I was watching this, and I was just like, yeah, why why is this obsession over coolness and irony? Like, we could just be – just listen to these guys just blast our asses out of the, <laughs> out of the, out of the sunshine – and following blues traveler around the country and man it was great uh and popper wales man that guy can play some harmonica yeah that guy he's great, can man. play some harmonica yeah Yeah, he's great. We should mention the song is called But Anyway, right? That uh-huh. was before the album four, I think. And I believe it was performed on the sitcom Roseanne in the 90s. Because um, I think John Goodman might be tight with Popper. Okay. Um, I, I will say, I think it is on four. I'm pretty sure it's on four, along with Hook. Ooh, I don't know. I might have to challenge you on that. I okay. think it's the one All before right. it. Okay. Um, All right. But. It's a great song, probably their best song. And every time I hear "But Anyway," um, I turn up for it. All right, it's great. glad you hear it. It's great. Quill, you said Collective Soul. I thought that you were. Uh, I, I thought did. you were talking bad about Collective Soul in the last episode. Oh, I was, uh, and I will more probably in the future. Um, but also, like, I feel like there was that stretch of episodes where shine was number one on the um, mainstream rock chart for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we all were like, Oh yeah, I'm going to the song. Um, I don't like the song, but the performance is pretty sweet. And also the song is pretty okay. 
Uh, and um, I noticed for the first time that some of the guitar parts on it sound like Smashing Pumpkins to me. Travis, you'll hate me, and I'll get so much hate from no people. That's fair. Uh, it's that's the, similar to like kind of maybe like the 1979 kind of guitar like playing. The, the the chord the chords uh that one of the guitars is playing in the verse sounds like pumpkins and then um in the chorus there's uh like a lead guitar line with like a bendy like a soaring bendy that sounds like oh yeah uh, pumpkins yeah as well it's hmm. a, that's really interesting that you say that because i've seen a video on youtube of billy corgan talking to like a radio station about how much he hates that song and he's like that's the worst song that anyone's ever made ever shine probably he- yeah uh corgan yeah um, corgan is saying, talking about shine yes yeah probably because uh, as as like a response to Smashing Young Man, um, I think they were in a bit of a beef. <laughs> so, yeah. I will say watching that video reminded me uh, Ross Childress of Collective Soul. He can play a metal solo with the rest of them, man. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty and, good. And I had forgotten that in my adolescence, I he was like one of my favorite lead guitarists. Mm. Wow. Yeah, he's really in the tone zone. <laughs> um, Ed Roland had an incredible guitar in this performance. He was playing like a 12-string yeah. Fender like maybe like a Fender Jaguar or something yeah. like that. You could barely Very hear rare, it. Very rare, beautiful. Yeah, but it just looked cool. It looked cool, yeah. Um. So I, I just I want to highlight real quick, my number two choice was Shoop Shoop by salt and Peppa. Yes. Very awesome. Cool. Awesome that performance. so fun. Yes. Yeah. It, yes. Yeah. And that song rips pretty, pretty good. Um, yep. That performance is awesome. Totally, totally awesome. 100% with you. Yeah. All right. Worst performance? Are we going to uh, count three. on three? Oh, sure. Okay. Three, two, one. Paul Rogers. Rogers. <laughs> I didn't hear what either of you said. <laughs> Trav, what did you say? I said Paul Rogers, <laughs> oh, the sure. lead singer of Bad oh, Company. I wasn't sure who that was. The worst. He, I mean, he was slash playing guitar, right? He was. I wrote that Paul Rogers must have incriminating evidence of the show organizers. Slash is slumming it. (laughs) Why is Paul Rogers? Paul Rogers was playing with Queen like a couple of years ago. Hmm. And like, Bad Company is awful. Like, there's nothing redeeming about Paul Rogers or Bad Company. And just this performance is like, this enormous crowd of people like kind of politely clapping at the end of the song well he does this like shitty blues thing that's just uh get out of here paul some of those older blues based acts were just awful and and i think i realized watching this that actually the original woodstock might be some of my least favorite style of music 
in all time. Like just that that blues-based rock that uh, performed by these like uh very mellow suburban feeling white dudes is just Hits. You're probably right, but I think it, all, all that anybody ever thinks about is like Hendrix, right? Right. You think about Woodstock, you think about Hendrix in this like electric, electrifying kind of like performance. It's like progressive and forward moving and thinking and everything like that. Um, but yeah, the reality is probably a lot more hippie, hippie shit. Yeah. Quill, what did you say for worst? Blind Melon. Ah, what? It was such a shit performance and so boring, and the song was boring. Yeah, it was bad. (laughs) It was like by far, by far my least favorite. Really? Yeah. I uh, I made a list of of acts that looked like the most fun, and it goes Blues Traveler, Salt and Pepper, Blind Melon. Why? That song was so boring. Um, I, firstly, I am going through a a period of blind melon discovery right now, sort of independent of this Woodstock clip. I have never particularly cared for No Rain, and so I have never bothered to seek out other blind melon stuff. But uh, a couple people have tried to get me to listen to Soup lately, and now I am quite into Soup. Um, I am I'm pretty enthusiastic about that album and putting it on at least once a week. And uh, Sorry about that. I, I thought that, I thought that the guy's uh, whole look was compelling, and uh, I thought the performance was compelling. I thought it, I thought it looked like a good time. Yeah, and to be fair, I should probably retract a little bit of my anger because I've actually watched the full Blind Melon Woodstock '94 set on YouTube before, and so, and I liked it, and, um. I didn't think much about the actual performance of whatever song they played here. I just sort of saw it and I was like, I've seen this before. It's cool. Next. Mm. Uh huh. You know, so. it was the song soup and it sucked. <sighs> in my opinion. What did you, right. what did you go with now? Well, uh, I, we we're, we're going to do worst performance and funniest performance, but I think they're one in the same porno for pyros. Mm. Uh, God, the song that they play is just a drag. <laughs> And it's the second track on, I think, their first album. And uh, it's it's a self-titled track. It's mm-hmm. called Porno for Pyros. And they just start playing this really lazy, funky, boring groove. And then Perry Farrell, who looks drugged out of his mind. You can actually sort of see someone maybe like try to like get him straight. And he's like, no, dude. Uh, you can see it's like this nonverbal <laughs> transaction you can see. And Perry, Perry Farrell kind of runs around the stage and he goes up to the mic. And I was astonished to see that this is in the studio version of the song, too. He goes, It's in the studio version. Yeah, it's in the studio version. It's just ugly. And it's 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 bad. It just has the vibe of people who are stoned and think that their ideas are good and their ideas are shit. <laughs> I have notes for all of the songs and my note for the porno for Pyro song is like a shreds video. <laughs> yes, oh, it yes. is. It is really, it's like specifically like the nine inch nails shred shreds. Video. Uh, yeah. 
That is a great, great comparison. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple, though, that I thought were were pretty funny. Um, what was... The, 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 the Perry Farrell's first words on the mic are hilarious, but, boy, Bob Dylan's first words oh. on the mic are also pretty hilarious. Del, I didn't know what, what it... Yeah, what did he say? Approximately, what did he say? Oh, my God. He just goes, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> He does his late period Dylan thing. Uh, maybe the, it's maybe it's not maybe it's not nice for me to say. I thought the Dylan thing, the Dylan funny. performance was cool because he was like, it was cool to see him play. It was nice to see him playing to like a young Gen X like pseudo hippie crowd. Sure, where they're like really into it and they're like crowd surfing and excited about him and everything. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. What was? Uh, what did you? What did you think was funniest? Oh, well, I. Go ahead, Aaron. I wanted to ask, what was Flea doing at the beginning of Blood Sugar Sex Magic? <laughs> he was being a weirdo. Uh, he was being Flea. I don't. I don't remember. Uh, my funniest is uh, Henry Rollins' band. Ah. Um, you didn't just, think that was tough? Uh, not at all. Um, I you didn't like the stationary rock well, stance. This is the thing. It's all Dude. about stage presence. And I remember having heading. I had never heard of Rollins band. Um, and seeing an, uh, an SNL rerun on comedy central back when <laughs> I was in like ninth grade or something like that. And, uh, it was an episode that Rollins band uh, were the musical guest and seeing that, you know, what uh, was on this YouTube uh, playlist in an SNL setting was just so confusing to me. Was and it probably I, liar? I, the big I, hit. I don't oh. know. Um, and I was not at the time I was not familiar with Henry Rollins. Um, so I was just like, what, what is this? Um, it, it just the, the, completely bare chest muscular barefoot black mesh gym shorts mm-hmm. crouching uh <laughs> with the mic and making the hilarious grunt faces and the arm movement uh, every time he comes up to sing uh it just kills me and the like the bass player stance was really perplexing to me too like he did not look comfortable at all uh-huh. um just kind of like crouched forward very far with his other leg stretched really far back and not moving from that until like the very end of the song. And yeah, I, it's just all about the stage presence. So bizarre to me. It, it is funny. Trav, what did you think was funniest? Metallica. Um, the intro <laughs> to the Metallica song where they were doing like, everybody clap your hands. And then they were doing like, you know, everybody clapping on, on the quarter quarter notes and then um you know everybody everybody saying yeah like repeating back and it was like full-on like arena rock like mess and yeah. it was embarrassing and then they cut into like whatever it was like uh for him the, the bell tolls yeah yeah and it was it was fine once they started playing but it was like man in 94 they were right on the tipping point like i mean i i whatever the black album came out in like 91 one-ish maybe i don't know and uh i'm actually sad we don't have an opportunity to talk more about metallica because they were very like important in the 90s and they went through this whole like 
transformation from being like this very cool underground hard threatening band in 1990 to like you know what they were in 2000 which is something totally different and that would be an entirely different like great thing to discuss but anyways um they were right in the middle of it here and it was not cool it was very funny can you think uh, of a more a boring drummer than lars lars got them them feet working for him though right no, no. i don't know you tell like you <laughs> tell me i feel like i always kind of go to you like do do you think um i mean obviously like what he's doing he, he's doing like the bare minimum with he's his doing arms, the bare minimum right? it's so like i have uh over the years and i mean this isn't a new thing now like i mean this happened years ago and i think al you were actually probably a big uh help um getting me this way but like i'm fine with simplistic drumming and just like playing you know what is necessary and that's really mm-hmm. it and like um i'm totally cool with that but he just he does it in a way in such an arrogant way um yeah he, where he's like twirling his face yeah, twirling the sticks well, between his fingers while he's playing like, it. He, but he's like not playing anything power and like so loud and like yeah. uh, just like not even like i hate the whole like playing a whole note you know, whole notes on the hi-hat with no, like not playing the eighth notes in between accented. Like to me, it's just like, that's so boring and like, you don't care. And I don't know. It's just, it's not a style of drumming that I care for at all. I think it's very arrogant. And um, also he's just bad at it. He's just, (laughs) he's just the least interesting drummer I've, ever heard like yeah that's he sucks i totally totally buy that (laughs) uh anything else about woodstock 94 no it was great (laughs) i gotta say i i peeked ahead at woodstock 99 and i can't wait to talk about woodstock 99 oh my lord just watching those fires burn and those (laughs) morons limpus kit played it right yes they did yeah yep okay well let's take a look elsewhere on the charts mm-hmm. um on the mainstream rock chart better man goes into lightning crashes like we said lightning crashes number one on the mainstream rock chart and i think we're going to see this increasingly frequently we're going to see modern rock songs um topping the mainstream rock chart as well indicating mm-hmm. sort of the increasing alternative takeover of the mainstream rock chart. Um, On the mainstream rock chart, we've got Take a Bow, My Madonna. Anything to say about that one? I love it. I love it. Um, That song was great. Um, I think that's a Babyface song. It is. It is the um, closer on Bedtime Stories. Very sexy music video for seventh grade uh, Travis uh, to uh-huh. see. Um, and yeah, great song. One of my favorite Madonna songs. Yeah, all right, I'm with you there. And that goes into This Is How We Do It by Montel mm-hmm. Jordan, a new Jack Swing classic, the first R&B track released by uh, Def Jam. Hmm. Pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. It's a pretty good song. Yeah. 
definitely nothing negative to say about it. Um, highlights on the modern rock chart? Yeah. Uh, the main thing for me is the appearance of Strong Enough by Sheryl Crow at number mm-hmm. 11. Yeah, number 11. Um, what can be said about that song aside from it is just gorgeous. It really is. Why is that song so great? It's a beautiful, beautiful it's song. It's very simple and it's very great. The the guitar part is really pretty. The the guitar part, the main guitar part is just super, super pretty. The melody is nice. Um there's like extra instrumentation that I don't know what it yeah, is. There, like maybe there's like a some cello or mild kind mildly of ambient keyboard elements mm-hmm. going on in the background. I'd also say that lyric is very bittersweet. It's like, I'm really mm-hmm. attracted to you. This is working well. But ultimately, I, I have this nagging feeling that uh, this is not to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I always find the idea of, of when you know a romance is temporary in film and in music, I always feel like that's a really potent cocktail of emotions. Mm-hmm. Just some points of interest. Um, Ass Ponies at number 26. Trav, I believe you like the Ass Ponies? Never heard. I've never heard the Ass Ponies. Oh, they seem like a band that you would have been into to me. Yeah. No. Oh, for um, some reason, I thought you were. My my brother loved the Ass Ponies. Yeah. Um, I completely forgot about the Ass Ponies. What a wonderful band name. Yeah, great band name. <laughs> um. And then, uh, well, sorry for pegging you wrong, Trev. Um, no, that's fine. And then, Peg away. Uh, your boy Dave makes an appearance at number 29. Dave, oh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and my boy John Peeper. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, What Would You Say? Oh, would you oh say? He, he played on What Would You Say? Oh, yeah. Who do you think is blowing on that harmonica? I don't know. You know, the... Uh, it's the brown yeah. Pepsi boy himself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Clash of the Titans there. That yeah, song is that song's sure. great. I love what would you say? Yeah, that's a good one. Which one is yeah. what would you say? Oh what a would you say? <laughs> I don't bite the mailman. Uh under the table and dreaming, right? Correct. Yeah. Track two. Yeah. Uh, um, earlier this week, Sarah was uh, actually, this may have been this morning. Um, Sarah was sitting at, uh, the kitchen table, um, eating her breakfast and Ziggy, our dog was sitting underneath the kitchen table, staring up at her, eating her food. And I said, Ziggy, are you under the table <laughs> and dreaming of mommy's food? That's pretty cool. You're out of here. You know, one thing about your dog is he wakes up in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Um, Everything Zen by by Bush is at number three. That's pretty high. We'll be talking about Bush before we know it. Mm. Not not a great song. Mm. I don't know what to think about that. I think when I was a kid, I thought it was great, and now I now not so much. Now it's yeah. very bland, very um, um, uninspired, and just sort of a copycat. That's a Nirvana wannabe. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. no, I don't think we're going to be arguing about that when Bush comes around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was surprised to see Stone Roses at mm-hmm. number five. Love spreads. The song really sucks. <laughs> <laughs> what song is that? I feel like that's uh, um, there's like a repetitive thing in it. I, I, or... I only listened to it once. I mean, I'm okay with Stone Roses. I'm not a, necessarily a fan of Stone Roses. I like. I want to be adored. But uh, man, this this song is not good. Yeah, the, the first album's pretty perfect. The second album is um, also an album, and um, <laughs> there's there's a lot that happens in it, and it's it, I don't know if you if you want to buy into it, it's pretty easy to buy into, and um, uh-huh. yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Um, Plowed by Sponge was at number 14. I was a little surprised to see that because I thought that uh, maybe we were just hearing that because we lived in Michigan. But no, that was apparently a national hit. Rules. Mm-hmm. Great song. Love Plow. And the only other thing I wanted to point out was um, Gel by Collective mm-hmm. Soul, which mm-hmm. is kind of a hilarious, cheesy, fun song. Mm-hmm. It was on their self-titled album, but it's also on the Jerky Boys soundtrack. <laughs> it charted off of the Jerky Boys soundtrack. <laughs> and uh, that did well. Good one. And there's another song by Belly. Um, we'll talk about Belly a little bit more, but... Um, Tanya Donnelly of Belly was a co-founder of the Breeders and was formerly in Throwing Muses. And that's something, a world that I'm just becoming interested in is uh, looking into Throwing Muses and some of the other kind of related, uh, Breeders-related bands. But um, something to look into. Great. Should we rate lightning crashes? Yeah, let's rate it. I'm going to give it a perfect five out of five floor placenta. Oh, baby. I also use the floor placenta rating system. Oh, yeah. And uh, I uh, I rated it 3.5. Oh, which is a little, I guess, low compared to a five. But I still feel like it's. I don't know. I feel, I feel good about it. I don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's hard to say. Like the three point. Give it a three point five plus. <laughs> um, you you're using floor placentas as well, That's right, Yes. Okay. Well, my my unit is just a little different. Uh, but I I will give. Lightning crashes by live three point seven five placentas falling to the floor. <laughs> All right. Um, my second, I I had I had three different options that I was thinking of. My second option was Pillars of Davidson, mm-hmm. uh-huh. again. Yes, yes. And my third option was Hot Rods because the drummer is obviously playing with the Hot Rod style. Wow. <laughs> brush and drumstick uh, fusion. Wow. On the drum kit. Cool. All righty. I'm so cool. <laughs> uh, is this a Nirvana wannabe, do we think? 
No, I think that this is, um, I think that live is part of the Nirvana wannabe template, but I think that this is um, a true maturation of the bubble grunge format. It, this is a, a near perfect fusion of um, sort of pop balladry with a, a mild Nirvana flavor and I think that this is an American original. I can't help but think that it's a little bit of a Nirvana wannabe. Like I liken it a little bit to like maybe Lithium where there's like the clean verses uh, at a certain pace that feels similar, um, but it doesn't, it never explodes like a, you know, loud, quiet, loud thing. Um mm. But yeah, I'm like halfway there on Nirvana Wannabe. Half, half yes. I say no. Um, for um, selling the drama, I think we kind of all agreed that that song was leaning more towards like uh, sounding like REM. Um, mm-hmm. th- I don't think this is that way though. Um, so I'm kind of with you, Al. That I ki- I kind of think it's its own thing. Um, I don't really know what else this sounds like to me, aside from live. Yeah. A true, truly unique, ahead of their time band live. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I agree with that (laughs) statement in full. I I don't mean it in full (laughs) or at all. All right, well, tell me all your thoughts on Pod as part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast, Best Song Ever. You can email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Email us a question and we'll dis- discuss it at our earliest convenience or send us comments, memories, corrections, and complaints. If you send comments as a voice memo, we'd love to include them at the end of the show. Uh, You should also join our Facebook group where we can talk about all this junk. That is, tell me all your thoughts on tell me all your thoughts on pod. You can listen along with our playlists on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along at YouTube. All of those things are available at thoughtsonpod.podbean.com. And next week's song is pretty... uh, (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) I've got something in my throat. Next week, uh, <laughs> uh, next week's song is pretty. <laughs> next week's song is pretty good. It's goodbye, better than Ezra. <laughs> uh, bye-bye. Uh, bye bye. Bye.